Okay, hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Hey, Tim, how'd you survive that uh, fall back, that uh, whole uh, clock situation? Just kept yeah. sleeping. Just, just kept, kept sleeping. sleeping? You just slept through it? Mm. I just, yeah, I kept sleeping. And I was like, wow, it's, all, it's only 10 a.m. right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then you woke up and then you started doing stuff and it's 9 a.m and yeah yeah because yeah. the devices are all automatic and you're like what i'd say my phone says it's 9 a.m and my bedside clock says it's 10 a.m i don't understand the situation and then you googled it for five minutes and found out what was going on yeah i didn't know yeah didn't didn't know <laughs> i think that's wild. a lot of people's experiences actually yeah yeah my wife was saying there's statistics saying there's more like automobile accidents after mm-hmm. you fall back or fall forward which doesn't seem like a big thing one hour for me but i know it's, it seems weird i mean my, my my experience is working overnight like the uh the the time switch was always a difficult time when you you know uh, have a full work schedule overnight it's it's hard because when you come home, it's dark. When you wake up, it's dark. It's yeah, it's rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gets dark earlier now. In like around five, it's getting dark, right? Mm-hmm. Dark like yeah. our dark like our content today. Let me tell oh, you. Yeah, let's get dark <laughs> with it. We're talking about Christmas movies in the first half of the show. <laughs> well, that's why it gets dark in yeah. the second half. Uh, End credits is yeah. a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new erotic thriller Fair Play, which you can see right this very minute on Netflix. Uh, that is in the back half of the show. For the first half, we're going to, as Tim was Im- strongly implying, we're going to... Sorry. No, it's all right. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not a secret. Uh, this isn't a secret show. Um, at least until the top five at the year end. Um, the uh, It is the Christmas season. It may not seem like it quite yet uh, because it's still early November. But uh, I know I was watching Halloween movies. Uh, like not like it, thematically. I mean, literally the Halloween franchise. They were having a Halloween movie franchise marathon on AMC on uh, Tuesday night when it was uh, last Tuesday night on ha- on a Halloween night and uh, they were already working the Christmas commercials into their Halloween movie marathon which uh, really sent a mixed message for me who can only really do one holiday at a time but uh, that's that seems to be where we are as a culture where Christmas starts not immediately after Halloween but during Halloween yep start getting <laughs> the big trees out on like October 30th uh yeah yeah which is it's, wild it's i mean yeah it's it's wild it's i mean you start getting you know for my retail days when you start getting christmas stuff in in like september and you have to like store store it somewhere until at least october um and then that's when the head office starts calling and you gotta put the christmas stuff out but it's not even thanksgiving <laughs> but um enough about that uh <laughs> so we <laughs> <laughs> what what, re, what retailer was that, Adam? Did you want to give him a shout out? No, no. I think okay. they're uh, well. That really that retailer is is long gone. Um, well, maybe I'm not going to get into it. We're going to get into movies. Um, so <laughs> we thought 
Christmas is is starting so early. We're going to have a Christmas so early movie marathon, and uh, we're going to have some suggestions. But for an added level of difficulty, we cut it off 30 years ago. So these movies are 1993 and after. And uh, I thought it was going to be harder than it is because, like, I can't remember. I couldn't remember a lot of good movies pre, like, pre Die Hard. But um, apparently, it was a little bit easier than I thought. Mm-hmm. Tim, do you do you have any feelings? Uh, my feelings are: I'm hoping I did this right. So it's the last <laughs> thirty years, right? So 1993, <laughs> four, 19- or five onward, yes. right? Okay, Correct. good. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had I had three that came to my mind pretty quickly for that. Yeah. All around the same period actually, but oh yeah, me 30 too, years. actually. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, well let's uh let's stop talking around it. Let's start getting to the, the picks here. So Tim, give us your first pick for a Christmas so early selection from the last thirty years. Okay. Yeah, Christmas so early. I'm kind of like you. I'm not celebrating yet, so it feels kind of weird. <laughs> These are ones I'll probably watch a month from now. But they, <laughs> um, uh, number one on my list within the last thirty years, uh, Jingle All the Way, mm. um, directed by Brian Levant, who I don't really know much about, but Chris Columbus, who of course did Home Alone and Harry Potter movies, he uh, he helped write it and produce it and i think it's criminally underrated at, mm. uh, as a christmas movie you go on you look at rotten tomatoes it's got like 19 percent critic sto- score 39 percent audience score but i think it's a fun movie a funny movie and i think it's uh it was a timely movie mm. when it came out and i think it still speaks to about the you know just the commercialization of christmas and mm-hmm. also how that's, you know, that's the society we live in where fathers, mothers, you know, they're under pressure to get the latest toy for their children and mm-hmm. or the latest video game or Lego set or what have you. And mm-hmm. that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked it. I, I like the casting, too. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the lead character. He's a mattress <laughs> salesman. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, but mm-hmm. for Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I like that. And uh, his uh, rival is Sinbad, who's a mail carrier, and they're mm-hmm. both trying to get the last Turbo Man doll from the mm-hmm. uh, Turbo Man action figure, I should say, from the uh, from the store. Um, and they're fighting over it. And it this came out in 1996, mm-hmm. and apparently the screenplay was inspired by. Cabbage Patch Kids. Mm-hmm. I think back in the eighties, there were Cabbage Patch Kid riots, mm-hmm. where parents were fighting each other in the stores to get get those items. And then a little bit after that, early nineties, you had the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, uh, which were a gift that every uh, kid wanted as well. Mm-hmm. And then it's weird timing because this came out, so this wouldn't have been inspired by this, I don't think, but. Jingle All the Way came out the same year as the Tickle Me Elmo craze. Right. So it's very fitting, 1996, where the Tickle Me Elmo Sesame Street dolls were retailing for $28.99. <laughs> and they, they they were sold out of all the stores so that you could find them online for $1,500 mm-hmm. at that point. So 
it, it just shows what, what people will do for their kids. Um, I think given what I've read about the film, they wanted it to be Arnold Schwarzenegger and, 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 and his son and the relationship. And you get quite a bit of, of that, mm-hmm. but that isn't the selling point for this. I think the selling point for this is the comedy is, uh, the evil neighbor character played by Phil Hartman. He wants to just sabotage <laughs> the life of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I, his name, Howard Langston in the film, yeah. wants to just uh, sabotage Howard Langston's life. And it, it's just so funny. Uh, Phil Hartman, as a dark, evil character, <laughs> he can't beat that for comedic purposes. Yeah. Um. And I, the film was successful at the box office. It grossed like $130 million. And you see it on, it used to be on TV all the time, I'm sure. I kind of cut the cord on cable, but I'm sure on regular TV, you'll see it. You can probably mm. stream it in a variety of places. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. I think it's funny. If you look at it as a comedy first, mm. and then as a maybe a Christmas movie second, and, you know, it shows sort of the dark side of Christmas, which I like, which, you mm. know, so much about Christmas is shopping, right? right. Um, right. On the news every year, they're like, how much are people going to, sp- how much are you going to spend this year for Christmas? So mm-hmm. um, I think this fits right in with that. So, yeah. Now you watch, recommend the, it. you watch the Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix. Did, did it address uh, Jingle all the way? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Well, then maybe again, maybe it didn't. Um, <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. Uh, speaking of the, <laughs> yeah. speaking of the dark side of Christmas, uh, my first pick is Robert Zemeckis's A Christmas Carol, which came out in two thousand and nine. It was the third in his uh, trilogy of mocap animated films. The second that uh, was based around some uh, Christmas content, shall we say? He did the Polar Express. And then he did Beowulf, and then he did A Christmas Carol. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen A Christmas Carol, you've probably seen it. You've seen at least one version, if not multiple versions. I'm not going to recap the plot. It does feature uh, Jim Carrey in multiple roles as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, but he also plays the three ghosts. He plays Christmas Past, Present, and Future. You get Gary Oldman in this. Uh, He plays not only... um, Bob Cratchit, but he plays Tiny Tim as well, and he also plays uh, the ghost of Jacob Marley. Uh, Colin Firth is in this as uh, Scrooge's nephew Fred. Uh, Bob Hoskins, uh, who Smekis worked with on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he plays uh, Fizzywig, who is uh, Scrooge's uh, sort of mentor back when he was young. Uh, Robin Wright plays both um, Scrooge's uh, lost sister fan and uh, his lost paramour. And yeah, it's it's um, a great cast um, and they're all doing great performances. I think like the other like Beowulf and Polar Express, uh, a Christmas Carol gets dinged by the uncanny valleyness of the human characters which uh, kind of stinks um, because I think the tone, like it's got great atmosphere. Ellen Silvestri's score is just perfect. Um, Jim Carrey is great in, in, in the various roles that he's playing. Um, and 
Zemeckis fundamentally gets. This is a horror story. This is a gothic horror, Christmas Carol. I mean, it, it's like there's such goofy. Like there was a, like there's an old West version of a Christmas Carol with uh, what's his name, Curly from City Slickers, Jack Palance, you know, playing Ebenezer Scrooge in the Old West, and like there's all these silly versions of it. Um, but the best versions of the story are the ones that understand just like how how dark it is, like the you know, in the scene where the ghost of Christmas present has the two kids, you know, you know, want and ignorance and, um, you know, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? It's, it, the, the story works so well. It's just sort of like this um, parable about like not being a Scrooge, essentially not being a miser, um, being kind, keeping Christmas, the spirit of Christmas in your heart, um, bad things are going to happen to you, but that doesn't give you the right to take it out on everybody all your life. And uh, yeah, everybody deserves a nice Christmas. Everyone deserves to uh, a little joy in their lives, whether they're poor or rich. And uh, Zemeckis, I think, gets that. Even if the tech, I don't think the tech was ever, I mean, he goes back to live action movies after this with Flight. Um, so I'm not sure the tech ever kind of lived up to what he wanted to do with it, but still, it I I think that the Christmas Carol is probably better than people might remember, and it's well worth visiting, and it's easily available on Disney Plus right now. So, yeah, that leads us into Tim's second choice. So my second choice uh, is does not warm the heart oh. like the ending of Christmas Carol. Oh, it's uh. Bad Santa. Oh yeah. Which, um, <laughs> get get you in the Christmas spirit for debauchery. Um, oh yeah. Two thousand and three, um, directed by Terry Zwigoff. and interestingly, it's his movie he did after Ghost World, which mm-hmm. Ghost World is very, I don't know, an awesome movie, um, but it much different vein than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently bad santa was developed originally by the coen brothers they were just looking for the rudest most non-pc santa they could do um <laughs> and and the producers were like yeah that sounds great um let's let's go with this alcoholic sex addicted santa claus and his um little person elf sidekick who rob who uh, are criminals and rob people, and uh, let's go with that. And and it works really well, I think. Um, mm. The cat, the casting's great. I, apparently, when they're develop, de- developing this, there were a lot of different actors they were looking at mm-hmm. for Santa, but they went with Billy Bob Thornton. Mm-hmm. And he's somebody I kind of miss. You know, I know he's done, still does some stuff, but. Um, mm-hmm. I miss him from like 2003, Billy Bob Thornton. He just is so sleazy. <laughs> and you, you have no reason to care about this guy, but you still somehow do because he's sort of like charismatic, even though mm-hmm. he's doing the worst things. Um, yeah. So him, uh, he plays Willie T. Soki, mm-hmm. I guess, and his, his little person assistants, Marcus Skidmore, and they're professional thieves. They work in a department store. Mm-hmm. Um, Willie Santa Claus Marcus dresses like an elf, and um, they uh, they uh, they do jobs, right? And um, <laughs> the uh, 
really cool thing about this one, uh, the original Bad Santa, is the uh, relationship with Lauren Graham's character, mm -hmm. um, who's the love interest for Billy Bob Thornton. She plays Sue, and she's just as debauched as Billy Bob Thornton. I think it's just just as vulgar and it's it's really fun movie because none of the characters are really that likable yeah but it's 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 still entertaining <laughs> and you're like you're you're rooting for them in a weird way um and and you know it's just and i must say the bad santa i think they did like badder santa which i watched which was uncut yeah and you'd think, okay, this would be even wilder, but it's not. I I think I I would stick with the original version. The Batter Santa, they're supposed to have added some more. You know, it's the unrated version. Supposed yeah. to added some more controversial scenes, but I didn't really notice much. I I like the original version, um, and it gets you in the mood because it's like originally it was like Coen Brothers were trying to do like the Bad News Bears, but for Santa Claus, <laughs> um. And here's a quote. Mm -hmm. The studio originally rejected it because it was the foulest, disgusting, misogynistic, anti-Christmas, anti-children thing we could imagine. And then, <laughs> well, Miramax gave it a green light after that. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, take it with a grain of salt if you're, if you're, extremely pc probably mm. hasn't aged well in 20 years but i wouldn't think so <laughs> um it's it, it's a it's a fun movie and some tidbits originally james gandolfini was going to play willie but he he turned it down interesting and they gave it to billy bob thornton and um yeah and i i went through some of the reviews as well and it's it was like overwhelmingly positive reviews when it came out Except there's uh, editorial from the Washington Times, which I liked, which <laughs> likened the movie to an evil twin of Miracle on 34th Street <laughs> and chided the Walt Disney Company for allowing such a beloved figure as Santa Claus to be trashed by Miramax Films wow. than a Disney subsidiary. So, Well, um, I mean, it wouldn't be the last time Miramax would disgrace Disney. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm noticing Miramax's name are a lot more uh, movies now. Uh um in trailers so yeah they're a, they're a subsidiary of paramount now i think um which is why scream is being released by paramount but uh yeah it's a bit bizarre and you mentioned billy bob thornton falling off i was looking up his his imdb and yeah he doesn't seem that busy anymore um but then again neither is terry swigoff he did mm -hmm. he had like that hat trick where he does ghost world bat santa and art school confidential and then he just kind of falls off but yeah, oh, it's, well. too it's too bad. It's too bad. Ghost World, though, I think is in another league. But like bad stuff oh, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah, that'll get you in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, I think so. Highly recommend it. Um speaking of weird Christmas spirits, we're gonna kick this off talking about the getting Christmas in our Halloween. Um this kind of does that on purpose. It is called Anna and Anna and the Apocalypse, and it is a 2017 um musical zombie holiday comedy directed by john mcphail a scottish filmmaker and uh as you can imagine um 
it's it's a musical that takes place during a zombie apocalypse that takes place during uh the christmas season and it's about a bunch of high schoolers who are you know they're seniors so they're in their last year um it's got a bit of a Shaun of the dead vibe to it in that it's you know essentially they're slackers they're kind of fed up with their small scottish town they're eager to get on with things and uh then the zombie apocalypse happens and they don't really notice at first until they're walking to school and they're attacked by a zombie snowman and uh you know uh things go where they uh, eventually lead they try to hide out in the bowling alley for a while which gives you the vibes of like the winchester this trusted old establishment in this local area that the, the kids um all kind of uh congregate to um and then there's this whole like kind of the mist segment at the high school where a lot of different people it's, it's also a shelter where the principal is like laying down the law and uh he's kind of having a colonel kurt situation where he's kind of oh like there's all sorts of like mesmerizing references in this movie as you can tell but the music is really decent. In fact, we play a song from Anna and the Apocalypse during our annual Christmas movie music special. So um, the songs are really catchy. Uh, there's an especially kind of bittersweet coda. This Ryan McHenry, who is the writer of the screenplay and of the music for the film, he passed away two years before the film was released. Um, but hey, he got his zombie Christmas musical made. And that is not nothing and end of the apocalypse is actually really enjoyable too it's it's a nice sort of um if you're not entirely like of a christmasy spirit um you know it gets you in the mood because it's got great music but it's also got great kills and zombie attacks and blood and gore and all that stuff that you like about a zombie movie so it's like essentially the reese's peanut butter cup of movies for for this christmas season and well we're seeking out i think and you can also listen to the soundtrack you put the soundtrack on at your christmas party you know maybe a lot of people don't understand what this music you're playing is but you know <laughs> it's considered an opportunity to you know sell anna the apocalypse to a new audience like oh this is music from anna the apocalypse it's great christmas music christmas movie it's also a great zombie movie so there you go that's just recommendations like all over the place yeah and you can That's... dress up like a zombie to your Christmas party and really confuse people. I don't. I as long as it's like a your zombie Santa or a zombie elf or a zombie snow. Like, I I think these are just all great ideas. I think this is this is like we're really giving people some ideas. December is still a whole month away, so you know you have lots of time to get organized. Yeah, people um, should do mashups, Halloween and Christmas, save money, just do one party, right? That that may be our best idea yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to your third pick. <laughs> okay, my third pick is a very popular movie called Elf mm -hmm. from 2003, directed by John Favreau. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it when it first came out. Thought it was hilarious, and it did really it did better than I thought. Like I was looking at the figures here, 220 million dollars at the box office, but it seems to have grown in popularity over the years. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's been shown on television a lot. Now it's in on streaming, mm -hmm. so I, I think you know most film goers, buffs have probably seen Elf at this point. Mm -hmm. um, what I really liked about it is the humor. I think mm -hmm. like it's, if it's a comedy, make me laugh right away. And it does. Right. Yeah. And uh, Will Ferrell's hilarious. But the casting, too, is incredible in this. Um, mm -hmm. Zoe Deschanel as the love interest. 
very good in in her role and apparently John Favreau didn't know she was a singer <laughs> when he cast her and she's just singing on set and said oh you got to do more of that we're gonna we're gonna have you sing in the movie so uh so that's really cool um John Favreau seems especially this period maybe still now but like really open to ideas mm. um and the casting like with James Kahn as the father his biological father mm -hmm. you have Ed Asner as Santa Claus mm-hmm um bob bob newhart right as papa elf but he's adoptive <laughs> father yeah <laughs> and and he also narrates uh it's just it's great and it reminds me like john favreau how he cast uh robert downey jr for iron man and mm -hmm. i just love that casting choice and it's so the it just makes the movie more fun. You've got people you can relate to. And these are skilled pros too, right? Skilled comedic actors. Mm -hmm. And Mary Steenburgen as the um, sort of the, I guess, adoptive mother in a way, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, Walter's wife, mm -hmm. Michael, who's the son's mother. Um, she's just very motherly. It just fits. It fits so well. And it just... Um, has some great scenes another actor i haven't mentioned probably the funniest scene in it was peter dinklage mm -hmm. <laughs> for me as miles finch the best-selling children's author who's having a meeting with um a meeting about his books and then um and then buddy comes in buddy the elf will ferrell comes in and <laughs> that's right just keeps offending him unintentionally over and over again <laughs> <laughs> just because he's just so sweet and kind and naive but he does he thinks he's being sarcastic right the uh, miles the author played by peter dinklage and then peter dinklage he just attacks him and just with such rage yeah. and it's just it's hilarious because even though they're like that violent moment like this is really kids friendly as well yeah and it is. apparently when they were adapting it i was reading here um it was a lot darker Mm -hmm. the original script was a lot darker mm -hmm. and terry terry zwigoff was offered to direct it <laughs> but he directed bad santa instead of elf interesting so there's real, some trivia it's a real sliding doors moment <laughs> yeah um uh, so, yeah yeah so it's it, it's just a lot of fun i think probably a lot of people have seen it but uh, it doesn't get old either it's one of those ones you can watch over and over again which i really appreciate no, I think you're right. I don't I think it does get old. It's, you know, it 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 works in so many ways. It's kind of it kind of has that rare kind of timeless quality um that I think some of our Christmas movies lack now. Even some of the ones I've we picked here. Um all right, for my number 3, I kind of went all dark. I was kind of surprised when I was like making the list. I was like, "Wow, this is kind of reflective of maybe the holiday mood." I don't think it is really. I I've come to sort of like in, in sort of like my peak retail days, I really had an animosity to Christmas that has kind of gone away as I've had like, you know, my sisters have had children. And so, you know, you kind of come to appreciate Christmas again when you have children in your lives. Um, but having said that, my, my third pick is Krampus, which is uh, from Michael Dougherty. It's his follow up to a direct to direct a DVD movie he did called Trick or Treat. Which is an anthology that follows this little character, Sam, who looks like a little scarecrow, uh, kind of burlap sack headed figure who guides us through various stories about Halloween. 
and how you need to have respect for the legends and the institutions of Halloween. And he's kind of the, the proctor of that. And Krampus is kind of of a similar motif, except it's about Christmas. It's about this family that gets together at Christmas time. Um, the, the little boy um, gets fed up with all the nonsense and tears up his Christmas letter and throws it out the window. And it is found by Krampus who comes and initiates uh, appropriate punishment for all the members of the family for not being suitably um, invested in the Christmas spirit. Uh, I think the casting's a bit off because it, it's like Adam Scott and David Koechner who are kind of like typically in comedy. So I, I feel like the the alchemy's a bit off because you have these kind of blatantly comedic actors and like there is comedy in the film, but it, it is does lean more to the darker side. But um, the production design and it, it's great. The creature design of Krampus, it's like mostly practical, but it looks amazing. And uh, I, I feel like it's due for a reappraisal much in the same way. Trick or treat trick or treat has sort of become a, like a modern Halloween classic. And I think, Krampus is probably do something similar. Um, it's pretty. I mean, it's not a great movie, but it, I I, I found it very enjoyable. It's it's a good sit, as they say, um, and a lot of that has to do with like the the, the production design and the traps and the, the the evil Jack in the box and the evil elves and and everything that's a part of that. So, um, I endorse Krampus. Um, I think that that time for that reappraisal has come and uh i think i think we have proved that uh maybe christmas so early isn't a bad thing like you can you can like get out the bad vibes early and then you know you by december you're ready for um something a little more friendly like maybe like on the elf side of things yeah wait till elf yeah wait until like christmas eve for elf yeah or that just all like horror christmas movies yeah, I mean, we didn't even get we didn't. I mean, because it was before 1993, but we didn't even get into like the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Yeah, yeah there's Black a series, Christmas, maybe Black Christmas. Well, I mean, there was a 2019 Black Christmas, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's that's a whole show. That's a whole show right there. It's like there bad, go. bad Christmas. Anyway, bad Santa, bad Christmas. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of serious how about those uh, gender politics and high finance but uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about Fair Play which is a new movie on Netflix coming up next you're listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio You have to establish boundaries. You have to set your rules to live by or they'll become his rules to die by. Who are you? Who am I? Who the f*** are you? You're the one catering to an old man every night. Do you think he would ask Paul or Tom to talk until 2 in the morning? No. He asked you because he knows you can't say no and that makes you weak. 
every time you answer this call, you're letting him walk all over you. The only man I let walk all over me is you. What the f are you talking about? I have been nothing but supportive. I've given you advice. Advice I, I never fucking asked for. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act, okay? I think I'm handling everything pretty well, given the circumstances. Are you serious? You stole my fucking job. Okay, that was a clip from Fair Play. It is a new film from writer and director Chloe DeMont, and it stars Phoebe Dynever, Alden Ehrenreich, Eddie Marzen, Rich Summer, Sebastian D'Souza, and Patrick Fischler. Um, so this came out of Sundance earlier this year, back in January. It was kind of the Sundance hit. Netflix ponied up $20 not twenty dollars <laughs> um that would be a low bit on the netflix side 20 million dollars uh to have the exclusive rights for fair play um so they clearly believed in it um did, did having said that did i have to actually use the search function on netflix to find fair fair play you better believe it um <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> at least they recognize that the, the it is good material and i i think this this is a, a really interesting movie um but tim i would like to know what you think of a fair play yeah it was a very dark movie and i it very captivating film um mm -hmm. i would say problem probably the reason you needed to go on the search uh was i think it was the number one movie when it came out for a day or two mm. but it's been out for a few weeks on netflix so yeah. um it was one i had seen and i said okay let's 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 do this one uh it's it <laughs> i was gonna say netflix has another couple of docu-series about serial killers to push through yeah yeah but go yeah. ahead <laughs> yeah so uh, i i thought it um dealt with some serious issues and dealt with them in a sort of a realistic manner, although mm. like a heightened manner, but mm. um, it's, it, it puts you right into the, into that space, you mm -hmm. know, the backstabbing mm -hmm. hedge fund managers um, you could see, and it, it deals with uh directorial debut by Chloe Domont. Um, yeah. She does quite well. Yeah. I think it, it really shows, you know, focuses like on the male ego and sort mm -hmm. of, you know, battle of the sexes and in, in relationships, how, you know, at the start, it's Emily and Luke and Luke looks like he's just maybe a step ahead mm -hmm. at the hedge fund. Like he's going to be in the upper, upper management soon. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just one promotion away from that, he feels Mm -hmm. and emily's more the supportive girlfriend at that point who does really well at her in her career but she's you know doesn't think you know doesn't think much of, of it in the fact that she she's professional but she's not doesn't seem as ambitious maybe as luke at the start mm -hmm. and then she gets the offer that luke wants right and mm -hmm. then she's the one you know the one making more money with the more esteem at work and he's the one who's kind of belittled at work and mm -hmm. it's you know ends up you know ruining their relationship and i think there's a lot to be said about that and what people prioritize in their lives mm. and it makes some good some spot-on statements about that mm -hmm. um uh sometimes i don't know sometimes it felt 
as it went on, <laughs> maybe unrealistic to me, right? Mm. Like, I, I don't know. It, and and the ending is, I'm not going to give away the ending, but I, mm. I do think the ending is thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be thought-provoking and sort of like a conversation starter, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But I think when you intend to do that, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not as organic, you know, like mm. other films that maybe there's more ambiguity to them at the end, they could start more conversations. I think this can start conversations about um, gender politics and 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 all of that. And I thought the acting was really good throughout, but then there was a certain point where I wasn't quite as captivated by it. So mm, and then there were certain scenes that are really powerful. Like there is like the rape scenes very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um so I think overall it's a very powerful film. Great debut. Mm-hmm. Um but you know I I wouldn't say it's my favorite film of the year or anything like that, which I think some people, I think that's, you know, sort of the intention in a way is like, this is Mm. just going to blow people's minds. And Mm. it it didn't blow my mind, but it did like it, it would open up conversations, which is, yeah, which is great. And yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. It didn't blow my mind, but you know, it, it contextualizes things in such a way that it kind of really makes you think about, um, not just gender dynamics in the workforce, which I mean, this plays with because it's, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't like watching every corner of the screen, but it's, it seems fairly evident that Emily's the only woman on this trading floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it makes a pretty big point at the end that, you know, there, there's an, uh, the, the rich summer character is introducing a new analyst at the end and it's a woman and the, the film's making seems to be, indicating like oh look here's another woman (laughs) in this in this very uh male environment um it's worth pointing out that part of the the film is that emily and luke are both that's essentially at the start of the film they both have the same job they've been in a romantic relationship for a while but because this is one of those places that dissuades inter-office romance um they're keeping their relationship a secret and um which is fine as long as they both have the same position. And you see this sort of progression over the, the course of the film where in the beginning, Luke is this very like supportive and like, you know, this kind of great boyfriend material. And then as soon as she gets the promotion, you see the shift and it really makes you question like, is he, is he okay with like not being the breadwinner. And I guess there's a question of how, like how men are socialized because she gets the promotion. He kind of immediately turns to like these like self-help, this kind of like Jordan Peterson character played by Patrick Fischler. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, it just, it, it makes, it doesn't have easy answers, but it really makes you question like, what is maleness if it's not sort of being the breadwinner and being the capital M man? And, you know, was Luke, and I mean, there's a lot of like little tiny hints, and not maybe not tiny hints, but there's a strong indication too that Luke is not great at his job, mm-hmm. and the reason why Emily is promoted is that she's at least better than him, and the film makes a really 
it makes a smart decision. Like there's the scene where she meets the boss um, at a bar at two o'clock in the morning. Like that, I think that's one of the most unbelievable things is that like people are like zooming around the city at like two o'clock in the morning at a work night. But... On a work night, yeah. <laughs> and she goes to like the strip club with them and stuff. And it's, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like all, all out all hours, drunk off off their um, equilibriums. But like he's sitting there, like he's essentially interviewing her for the job, although that's not what she, he, she, she's aware of yet, but he's like reading off her resume and talking about all these accomplishments she's had. And, and so you get a real sense that um, she is probably better suited to the promotion, um, which, you know, kind of adds to the, 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 the dynamics of this either. Like how far has Luke succeeded just because he looks like the part of a, of a of a traitor and i mean he's he's implies that he went to yale not implies but he's like that that's how he first met the the big boss um was when he gave a speech at yale so it's you know it, it it's it's an interesting it, it there's an interesting frame on this it's just like is the problem that i mean there's a couple of different problems number one is like the over maleness of of this environment because Emily's always like she's like trapped between like three corners in this. It's like there's the boss breathing down her neck because she has to prove herself because she's you know the new she's the new boss and she's a woman so she feels that double pressure. Luke's not taking the promotion well, and then on the other end she has her mother on her case because her and Luke just get engaged, and so she has to right. sort of constantly have to deal with this this idea of what is she supposed to focus on, which is the engagement that she's like, she's going to have a husband. Like her mother wants her to make that the priority as opposed to this. Like she just got a promotion at work and there's a lot of pressure to succeed because um, this is a, a doggy dog industry. So it's, yeah. it, it, I mean, it, it shows it, it's very good at showing sort of just what the, <laughs> what the, yeah what the box like the box that emily finds herself in through the yeah. course of this and what kind of pressures there are are on her and and how just you know getting up in the morning is kind of a chore given it's tough, yeah, when you've been out till four in the morning it's <laughs> tough, but... doubly tough because i mean yeah. they're getting up before like it's even sunlight and i don't know if that's like a daylight savings time thing but uh as we we're saying at the talking about at the beginning but you know they're up up well into the night or the, and then you know they're up early in the morning when it's still when it's not even light out so it's yeah it's i mean this is a rough week for anyone but it's been... <laughs> yeah yeah and then emily well she gets promoted and mm -hmm. so then it's like she has this real plum position there but there's just so much more added pressure to it mm -hmm. and it does show like the glass ceiling because there's still like another one or two layers above her especially the big boss who's mm -hmm. You know, you make a mistake and he's calling her every name in the book and yeah, very misogynistic. And she has to relate to that and she has to adapt to that. So I mentioned she goes to the strip club. So she goes to like, I guess, to fit in. Right. And yeah. Like throwing money or making it rain and stuff in the strip club. Right. To yeah. fit in with <laughs> with her. Uh, with this you know, yeah, testosterone filled uh, job she's at. So, and it still doesn't earn her any currency because like they're talking about her, like, did you see what a freak she was at the club last night? It, you know, <laughs> it still doesn't earn her any currency, which, you know, yeah. speaks to, you know, how hard it is. Um, I, I do want to, you know, praise Eddie Marsden as, as yeah. the boss Campbell, um, because he's like, when he t turns up and stuff, he's usually like a henchman, 
or like a like a patsy or like he's some kind of schlub and mm-hmm. in this he's like he's the boss people are like understandably afraid of him he has this like kind of real like rock he has this kind of gravity to him um you, you know there <laughs> he could just like get get them to act like there's this that scene where he where emily goes to meet him and she she asks the bartender for a diet coke and he just kind of gives her a look and like really like a, a cult your boss calls you out to the bar at two in the morning and you're just gonna have a diet coke like come on it's like i i understand yeah. that you're a human being who probably has a, a libation occasionally <laughs> <laughs> there's the great scene where luke like basically pledges his allegiance oh, to yeah. campbell and then just the look on eddie marson's face when it's over it's it's so priceless what is it like i own you i don't remember it's or yeah it, it's it's like a mix of like like this is embarrassing for you and me oh and yeah i i don't <laughs> understand like why are you doing this yeah. like you like i'm now i'm gonna now you think i'm gonna promote you after like this like display like he's literally on his knees but it's it's like yeah. eddie eddie marson just has this look and it's so perfect um i burst out laughing at it it's but it's it's a really great performance by him he's he's like a real bedrock in this i found for sure for sure and phoebe dynever is very good in the lead and alden einreich is very good as uh, luke edmonds and but yeah you could see it as like darkly comic at certain points with luke's character actually if you thought of it that way because yeah it's kind of outrageous what he does like begging for his begging for that promotion and then when he decides to quit really just coming in all disheveled and you know drunken and like knocking over uh the coffee machine and stuff like that right i mean it's heavily implied that um this is like a world where like high drama is is part of it like there's that scene at the beginning where the they fire the old boss the the pm i'm not sure what that mm-hmm. th- that position is or like pm that's that's the position emily gets but they fire the old guy and he like like tears apart his office yeah and like nobody's like moving to the elevators um so it's yeah. it's kind of implied that like outbursts are, and then they, they fire the other guy later, and he like breaks down and cries. So I they're used to sort of getting dinner on a show at this hedge fund. Um, yeah, I think PM's <laughs> portfolio manager. Yes, that sounds right. No, no, that sounds right. Sounds good. Yeah. Um. So I, I, yeah, there, there is a bit of comedy to this, and and I think that's sort of what makes it intriguing um is that you know it kind of taps into a lot of that raw human emotion like some of this is funny some of it's just like sad and pathetic and um it it feels very human and it doesn't offer easy answers and uh, you know you feel for emily um who you know is trying to you know again like fighting a battle on multiple fronts and then she has to hold up this you know I don't know how to say it another way, but like this man baby who's just like kind of breaking down because she was a success and he's not, even though he still has a pretty good job and he has a still still has a pretty good girlfriend and or, or fiance and Emily. Um and it's really interesting because you do kind of feel for Luke for a bit, but as sort of like it goes on, you're just like, like, dude, get over it. It's <laughs> you know, it's age and like she's kind she kind you kind of watch her, you're kind of a little bit ahead of her because eventually she gets to the point where she's like, dude, like you're making me miserable. I can't do my job and babysit you at the same time. 
And there's a, also a pretty, I think, interesting question. And it's just like, was he sabotaging her or is he just mm-hmm. like kind of incompetent? And like the movie does, I don't think the movie makes any judgments either way. No. But um, it was a thought, admittedly, it was a thought that occurred to me around the hour mark. It's like, is he purposefully like giving her bad tips and bad analysis because he, you know, thinks he yeah. knows better or whatever? I thought the same thing. I thought he yeah. might be trying to sabotage her. Mm. And even if even if it's not intentional, which I was thinking it was around mm. the same time in the film you were, mm. it'd be unintentional. He's like sabotaging his whole life, right? Like, yeah, he could be just wanting to bring everyone around him down with him kind of thing. Right. Like mm. how he shows up to the engagement party, how he shows up, you know, when he like sort of quits his job or at least makes it so he's going to get fired right it's just sort of like he's almost given up on life at that point and he's so affected by Mm -hmm. i think he's so affected by just it's like a toxic workplace to begin with right and Mm -hmm. then he's affected by the fact you know his male ego the fact that his fiance has has moved up more than he has has a better position that's affecting him Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that's said in here about sort of a toxic workplace too, which mm-hmm. we've seen in films in the past, like Wall Street and films like that, where it's like you're working with some real snakes, right? So, mm-hmm. and you're having to navigate that, you know, this room full of just real <laughs> snakes, you know, real <laughs> evil people who are backstabbers, right? So, it, yeah. It, yeah, there's that, and there's also like the the weight of expectation. And there's just, you know, uh, you know, he there's that scene where Campbell, you know, screams at her and, and calls her a, a bad name. And uh, and then, like, she comes back with a good tip the next day. And, you know, they've shorted this stock that makes them a ton of money. And like, oh, all's forgiven. By the way, would you like to accept this check for your commission, which is like six figures? And it's it's, it's just, you know, at, at what point sort of how do you separate just the the male toxicity from like the regular sort of toxicity mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know? yeah <laughs> you're getting six figure checks and yeah you're like it's just you know one day you're you know you're being shouted at and the next day you're like the hero and you know you're going yeah. out and you know everybody thinks you're awesome and you know and then the next day it starts all over again it's um it's a real bizarre sort of situation and then in into that comes this all this that's at play and you know, you have Lou kind of voicing, voicing a lot of the insecurities that Emily's probably thought herself. Like, was she promoted because she was a woman? Um, you know, how how is she, you know how is she supposed to feel when they like go out to a strip club and because she's a manager, she has mm-hmm. to tag along. And um, a lot of that is like, <laughs> and yeah. you know, he 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 basically at one point she ta- he's they're talking about how she dresses and he says she dresses like a cupcake, which was oddly on the nose when once he said it i thought like yeah she does like some of her blouses do kind of scream cupcake but what does she do she comes in the next day and she's like wearing one of those black turtlenecks and you know the the elizabeth holmes special and it's you know and this is kind of like the two the the two realms either you you know sort of like express yourself and you know wear these things that these clothes that you like or you have to put on this persona um but you know he that's something she's doing to herself after these conversations with with Luke or or other people meanwhile he's just like a complete mess like breaking down and it seems to you know <laughs> seems yeah. to not bother him or anybody that um and it, you know it really speaks to just how 
you know, sort of, um, there's sort of two different rules for everyone in, in this environment. Oh yeah, for sure. And she's just, um, yeah, you feel for her cause you just got so many pressures, right? Like yeah. she, like you said, she's like babysitting her boyfriend in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you, you know, she's got this overbearing mother talking about the engagement party. Mm -hmm. She's got under all the stress at work and you can relate to that. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I think, um, like you make a good point uh, that, you know, there's a toxicity mm. in the in environment in general, mm. whether you're male or female, but you're just adding another complication onto it. That's, mm. I think, makes it even way more complicated, probably being, and, you know, and then uh, Luke even suggests at one point, oh, did you get the job because you slept with somebody, right? Um, yeah. Which is sort of that, you know, if you're an attractive woman in the workplace and you're promoted, yeah, you know, year for decades and decades, and pe people have, you know, those rumors have swirled around, right? And yeah. so that's just another complication for the Emily character. So, and there's also you like can really the, feel for her. Yeah. There's also the inference where she comes back from that meeting with Campbell, and like he, he's his mind automatically goes to, oh, like he like invited you out to make some sort of solicitation, and it, it's not on the fact. Like it's nowhere in his imagination that Campbell has her meet after hours to essentially offer her a job. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's um, it, it's a complete and total surprise to him. And of course, I mean, th there there is a, a a sort of man who thinks that he is the master of the universe, and um, you know nothing. And you know, there's all kinds of like polls and data and stuff that says like in, you know in politics like a man will automatically think he should run in like, whether that's for like school board or city council or, you know, provincial office, but a woman has to sort of be like invited to, you know, sort of have to be like sort of not dragged in, but sort of like encouraged along. A man will think nothing of the fact when somebody says you should run for office. Yes, I should. Um, and it's a little bit different in women. I imagine that extends to a lot of different corners too. So it's, you know the, the 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 gender politics of this i find are are infinitely interesting and the performances are sharp as as we've been saying and um yeah just a i don't think we've mentioned her enough but chloe demont uh she directs she's directed a lot of tv mm -hmm. um this is her feature debut but i mean it's a super strong feature debut and um it has a real point of view and it has a real style to it and as we're saying, the actors are good. It's um, it's compelling. It's it's nothing if not compelling. Yeah, and it really investigates those power relationships. And I think the ending does linger with you because it really, yeah, really points out the power dynamics, yeah. right? And so it's uh, it's definitely worth worth watching on Netflix. I think, it, and if you watch it with some other people, it's conversation starter for sure. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll see. And Chloe Demont, yeah, first film. Um, <laughs> I saw she was already picking her top ten Criterion on the Criterion Channel. So well, that's how you know you've made it. She's made it now. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll have to wrap that up, and uh, we'll pick it up some other time. But uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to our show again by downloading it every Friday from our website at endcreditsradioshow.com at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app. 
like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can stay connected to us on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And of course, I'll be back on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics and open sources. Go off with Scotty Hertz. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. Or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And Tim, where else can people find you out there on the internet? On the internet, flashing the deadpan on social media. And uh, let me know what your Christmas movies are. Because <laughs> uh, I've watched Elf about 20 times now. So I need to watch some new new Christmas movies. I think I'll watch some of the horror ones to get mm-hmm. started. And then yeah. I'll get into the, the lighter fare as we go on. Yep. That's that's I think that's good. Um, a lot of Hallmark movies that Candace could probably recommend oh, too. Oh wow, the, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of those. Yeah, but uh, we'll save that for another day. Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another end credits, and we will see you then. <laughs>